Council of Dads by Bruce Feiler. In 2008, with no inkling of trouble ahead, Bruce Feiler received some devastating news. It was the catalyst for a most unusual request, explained in this letter. Dear Blank, As you know, I have learnt that I have a seven-inch cancerous tumour in my left femur. The afternoon I first heard the diagnosis, I was standing on York Avenue in Manhattan. I sat on a stoop, telephoned Linda, called my parents and wept. I went to get some crutches, stumbled home, lay down on my bed and stared at the sky for several hours, imagining all the ways my life would change. Then Eden and Tybee came in, running and giggling and looking in the mirror. They began to do this dance they made up when they turned three a few months ago. Mixing Ring Around the Rosie, Ballet and the Hokey Pokey, they twirled frantically in a circle, going faster and faster until they tumbled onto the ground, laughing with all the glee in the world. I crumbled. I kept imagining all the walks I might not take with them, the ballet recitals I might not see, the art projects I might not mess up, the boyfriends I might not scowl at the aisles I might not walk down. The next few days were a tangle of tears and late-night conversations, doctor consultations, insurance negotiations, determination, hopes and fears. I quickly determined I was looking at one of three options, the lost year, the lost limb or the lost life. Through it all, I kept thinking I would be fine. Whatever happens, I have lived a full life. I have travelled the world. I have written ten books. I am at peace. I also thought Linda would be fine. She would experience a lot of pain and inconvenience, but in the end she would find a way to live a life of passion and joy. But I kept coming back to Eden and Tybee and how difficult life might be for them. Would they wonder who I was? Would they wonder what I thought? Would they yearn for my approval, my discipline, my love, my voice? A few days later, I woke up suddenly before dawn and thought of a way I might help recreate my voice for them. I started making a list of six men from all parts of my life. These are the men who know me best. The men who share my values. The men who helped shape and guide me. The men who travelled with me, studied with me, have been through pain and happiness with me. Men who know my voice. That morning, I began composing this letter. I believe my daughters will have plenty of resources in their lives. They'll have loving families. They'll have welcoming homes. They'll have each other. But they may not have me. They may not have their dad. Will you help be their dad? Will you listen in on them? Will you answer their questions? Will you take them out to lunch every now and then? Will you go to a soccer game if you're in town? Will you watch their ballet moves for the umpteenth time? When they get older, will you indulge them in a new pair of shoes? Or buy them a new mobile phone or some other gadget I can't even imagine right now? Will you give them advice? Will you be tough as I would be? Will you help them out in a crisis? Will you tell them what I would be thinking? Will you tell them how proud I would be? Will you be my voice? And as I lay on my bed that morning, hoping I didn't wake Linda as I shook with tears, I said to myself that I would call this group of men the Council of Dads. 
Naturally, I hope that I will fully recover from my illness and that we will all be able to enjoy many family occasions together in the future. But I would like my counsel to continue, no matter the outcome. I would like my daughters to know the world through all of you. I would like Tybee and Eden to know me through this group. Your voice will merge with mine. Love, Bruce. I almost didn't tell Linda about my idea of a council of dads. It would be too upsetting for her to imagine, too morbid to consider. We should focus on the positive. We should live in the moment. But within 24 hours, I had lost my resolve, and as soon as I described my still unformed conception, the idea no longer belonged just to me. It was ours, somehow. I love him, she would say of a prospective dad, but he doesn't represent who you are now. He's great, she would add of another, but what about this part of you? We needed a set of guidelines. First, no family members. The man I'm closest to in the world is my brother. I also have brothers-in-law, cousins and the like with whom I share any number of bonds. But we figured these men would naturally have relationships with our girls and would share in family occasions throughout their lives. Second, men only. I have been blessed since I was a teenager with strong friendships with women. My list of closest friends would probably be split 50-50. But we concluded that with their mother still in their lives, what our girls would need were fatherly voices to fill the vacuum of my absence. Third, intimacy over longevity. We decided that some of my more recent friendships might better capture the man I had become and father I wanted to be. Fourth, only one friend from each phase of my life. And finally, a dad for every side. We didn't set out with a preconceived number and didn't care whether the men were fathers themselves, but instead looked for men who might capture different aspects of my personality. Jeff. From the beginning, Jeff Shumlin was on the list. In the summer of 1983, I went on a six-week student exchange program around Europe. Jeff was our group's co-leader. In the decades since, Jeff and I have strengthened our bond. His home in rural Vermont became a sort of storybook playground for me, a place where I went to chop wood, pick apples and tap maple syrup. It was the place I went after every breakup and bad book review. Jeff was my camp counsellor, racing me to the top of mountains, throwing me in the lake, nearly shooting me in the head when a deer jumped from behind a tree and leapt over my Elmer Fudd hat. He was my life coach, pushing me to study abroad, hectoring me to marry Linda. He was my big brother, the one I always looked up to, because I wanted to, because he deserved it. And when I got sick, Jeff was the one who started sending me a postcard, every day, snow or shine, vacation or work, and vowed to continue for as long as I was ill. It was this mixture of qualities I wanted Jeff to convey to our girls, the connectedness of someone who understood the value of neighbours, along with the openness of someone who spent half his life living and working in other parts of the world. Jeff would show the girls how to engage their community, then carry that way to experience life with them around the globe. Jeff would teach them how to travel. Max. We were about to start university in 1983 when I met Max. Immediately I felt we were kindred souls, he told me 25 years later. Ever since that afternoon, Max Steer has been a constant presence in my life. 
Days might go by when we didn't talk, but in a quarter century, a fortnight never passed when we didn't communicate. For two years, we were roommates at university. For two months, we backpacked from Singapore to Beijing. In retrospect, we were probably incompatible as roommates. Max is an early to bed, early to rise. I'm the opposite. Max insisted on doing push-ups and bench pressing every morning. I ate leftover dumplings. But precisely because we endured those trials, our friendship became unbreakable. Max was my purple heart, as in, I went to war with this person, got wounded but survived. He's the friend who nicked me a few times when we were younger, but our connection became so strong that the wounds soon melted away. I would want him to tell the girls how we earned those wounds, of course, who we were when we first left home. But beyond that, I would want Max to embody for Eden and Tybee the values he has always represented to me, the loyalty of the friend who sees how far I've come instead of how far I have to go, the dignity of the person who has devoted his entire life to serving others, the self-respect of the man who insists on meeting his own standards instead of succumbing to those of others. Max would teach them how to live. David. One unexpected gift of the Council of Dads was that it forced me to formalise what otherwise would have gone unsaid. By inviting these men into the innermost space of our lives, we were cementing a new kind of bond. And by forcing us to sit down and discuss our lives, I began to detect certain patterns among these men. First was a new kind of maleness, one that would have been completely alien to my father's father, or even to my own father. For starters, we talk fairly regularly. More important, we talk about things that were once the exclusive domain of women's magazines and daytime chat shows, our children, our feelings, even our bodies. For me, no friend represents this new vernacular of modern manhood more than David Black. David is both a classic man's man and a modern woman's man. Someone asked me if David cried when I invited him to join my council of dads. David cries when you invite him for a walk, I said. With this new breed of men, the old boundaries of male bonding no longer apply. David is a literary agent, the colleague who also became a friend, the friend who's also a colleague. His self-reliance, which at times can be bullheadedness, is a hallmark of his personality. A literary agent is a broker of dreams in a world in which most dreams don't come true. It's this aspect of David, his ability to give others the strength to believe in themselves and finesse at handling aspirations and setbacks that is his greatest skill and the gift Linda and I most wanted him to share with our daughters. David would push the girls to imagine some unimaginable goal, then teach them how to pick themselves up if that goal proved elusive. David would teach them how to achieve their dreams. Ben E. For as long as I can remember, I kept an inventory in my head. I never gave it a name. I never wrote it down. The list contained the names of people who would come to my side in the case of an emergency, no questions asked. If I got into trouble, I would just call one of these people, and he or she would hop on a plane, or bail me out, or write the cheque, or hold my hand. And every time I made the list, one name was at its top. Ben Edwards was the friend whose birthday I never forgot and whose childhood phone number I still remember. Who always looks eight to me, no matter the kilos, the grey hair or the teenagers of his own. 
He's the friend I have nothing in common with except that we grew up together. Yet sure enough, when I got sick, he was the friend I had to call. He was the friend who, on the weekend when I was at my lowest, my birthday in the hospital, was also at his bottom. His high school sweetheart and wife of 20 years, the mother of his two children, sat him down and announced, I'm leaving you. He was the friend who then didn't tell me for six months because he didn't want to worry me. These are the qualities I wanted Ben to impart to my girls. He would convey the importance of being from a place, how you carry that place with you wherever you go, how you keep coming back to it time and again, no matter how long you live. This is where your daddy came from, he would tell the girls. This is where you come from too. Ben Edwards would teach them how to remember. Ben S. Ben Sherwood was pushing me in a wheelchair around the seventh floor of the hospital, looking for a place to talk. We found an abandoned conference room. Ben rolled me to the head of the table and pulled up a chair. Though Ben was one of the first dads on my list, he was about to become one of the last to know. The reason? Ben is the friend who questions. He challenges assumptions and picks apart flaws. If some friends are cheerleaders, bulwarks and backstops, Ben is the inquisitor. He's the drill sergeant making sure every decision is thought through and every emotion pure. I had to be prepared. It's that voracious, sometimes relentless curiosity I wanted Ben to pass on to the girls. The commitment to unveiling the truth behind the spin. The thirst to acquire information, then rearrange it into something surprising and fresh. If something happened in the news, Linda said, and I wanted the girls to have an unexpected view of it, as you would have given, I would send them to Ben. In my counsel, no one pushes harder, shapes more thoughtfully, or has a stronger voice than Ben. Ben Sherwood would teach them how to think. Joshua Joshua Ramo is the newest of my friends and the last of my dads. He took me to the Rio Grande Valley in northern New Mexico on a summer's retreat to purge me of my chemo, mark the boundary of my treatment and distill the essence of his advice to our girls. But there was a catch. First we had to spend a day meditating, fasting and not speaking. You mean you brought me halfway across the country to talk with you for two days, only to then not talk to you for a day, I asked. That's the Ramo way, he said. When I first thought of the Council of Dads, I envisaged a group of names. In this circle, I had certain figures. My childhood buddy, my camp counsellor, my college roommate, my business partner, my closest confidant. But I had one last role to fill. It's your creative side, Linda said. When the girls asked me why we have a Japanese kimono on the wall, or why your favourite colour was orange, I need someone to explain how you looked at the world. Joshua is that person. In my year of grey, he helped restore my love of colour. If the girls wanted to know how deeply you feel things and how vividly you view the world, I would send them to him, said Linda. He is the one who would teach them how to appreciate the perfect panorama or the exquisite view. He's the person who would explain that even when they hurt, they should still find time for wonder. He would show the girls how to marvel at the everyday miracles around them. Joshua would teach them how to see. Dear Tybee and Eden, The most daring pilots in the world have a motto for how they handle life's greatest tests. The Air Force teaches its novices 
that when they face a life-defining challenge, they should not run from their fear. They should embrace it. Hug the monster, they say. Wrap your arms around your fear. Wrestle it into submission. Redirect it into a source of resilience and purpose. Hug the monster, girls. I can be your arms. Because if you know nothing else about me, know that your daddy loved you. I loved you when you climbed on my tummy in the morning and told me that snuggling with daddy was your favourite time of day. I loved when you looked frightened in my direction and when you grabbed my finger during fireworks after I said, squeeze me if you're scared. You can still do that when I'm gone, you know. Just squeeze your fingers together. I'll feel it wherever I am. A few weeks after you were born, we held a party to introduce you to our friends. I gave a short toast. My closing wish was, may your first word be adventure and your last word love. I can report that the first half of that wish came true. The second half, may your last word be love, is up to you. And if I've learned anything from my illness, it's that we never know when our last word may come. So I beg of you, be awash in love every day. Through each other, you'll always have a connection to your mother and me. Because if the paradox of being a parent is that we must make ourselves unneeded, the paradox of being a child is that you discover how much you need your parents only after you think you don't. You go forth on your own. And at exactly the moment you stop listening to us, you finally hear what we've been saying all along. Until then, I'll be waiting. Even if you can't hear me, I'll be whispering in your ear. Even if you can't feel me, I'll be gently pushing you on your own. And even if you can't see me, I'll be holding up my finger for you to squeeze when the monster needs hugging. Take trips, girls. Take chances. Take off. And every once in a while, take a walk for me. Love, Daddy. After a harrowing year of chemotherapy and major surgery, Bruce Filer is currently in remission. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.